Well, this morning, I'm going to start a new series that, uh, that's perfect for New Year's. However, I'm not sure if uh, New Year's is perfect for the series because New Year's resolutions seem to collapse when they hit uh, old year's bad habits. And so uh, we're just going to trust that the way we go in this series is going to be different than the way most of our New Year's resolutions go. In fact, I love the words of one rogue who said to another, may your troubles be just as short as your New Year's resolutions. Um, well, <clears throat> I'm hoping that as we start this series that, that it, it'll bring a, a new sense of resolution, uh, but more than that, a sense of mastery that can only come from God. And so the series we're going to look at <clears throat> this morning and in the days to come is called Mastering the Basics. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> what, what do we mean by the word mastery? And why is that important? In fact, I'm not an educator, but from what I understand, that's kind of a key word in common core curriculum, that the whole idea is to help bring a greater sense of mastery what is mastery when we, when we talk about it in the sense of our lives? Why is it important? How does it make a difference? Um, Andreas, can you put the definition up uh, on that? And I'll read it if it's too small. Mastery is being fully in control of, aware of, cognizant of your strengths, weaknesses, limitations, and liabilities. It's being focused on overcoming and growing beyond previous season's limitations. <clears throat> it's not a, a bad definition. Um, it'll do for what we have. But mastery is, is about finding our place in the world and finding our abilities and integrating them into our lives in a way that would be honoring to God. Um, psychologists call it uh, self-regulation or self-control. The, the ability to get, yourself, to get yourself to consistently, uh, good way to start off the New Year's, to consistently behave in ways that move you toward your goals rather than away from them. Um, what makes mastery so important? Mastery gives you a sense of usefulness. The more you master something, the more useful that you become. Think about it. Would you go to a surgeon who was just performing his first surgery and had no real mastery? No, because that's not useful to you. Um, you wouldn't go to a, a lawyer who never won a case or, or to a, a financial expert who, who had never made a dime or a mechanic who had never seen a motor. If you're going to go to someone for help, someone who's going to be useful in your life, you're going to go to someone who has a sense of mastery, a sense of they know what they're talking about. This past year, as many as you know, I was out for about eight weeks for surgery. And uh, when I went to look for my back surgeon this time, um, I looked for mastery. I did all my homework and... and um, 
wanted to see where this guy went to school, what he had written, what he had published, so that when I went in and I met with him and I listened to him, it was clear to me, this guy has a sense of mastery in what he does. Mastery helps make us useful. So why do we look to master things? Because without doing so, we become useless to ourselves and to others. Not only does it make it useful, but it also gives us a sense of confidence. That when we have a sense of mastery, we have a sense of confidence in what we're doing and in what we're saying. Uh, also, it gives us motivation. Because if we haven't mastered something, then to get up every day and to enter into something that where we feel overwhelmed and confused gives us no motivation at all. And yet when we feel like we've got a handle on it, it motivates us. And it motivates us uh, to be more creative because mastery makes us more creative. The more I master something, the further I go in mastering new information. I remember when I had a, had a professor in seminary who, um, who was, uh, he was my theology professor and the guy was brilliant and, and pleasing him and getting good grades almost seemed impossible. And he used to always say, the perfect paper is the paper in which you have mastered the material and then you speak on it. Yeah, it, it, it gives us a sense uh, of being able to go further than we were. It makes us prosperous. Find someone who's got a sense of mastery and you'll find somebody who's prosperous. So when we talk about mastery, um, and particularly when we talk about mastering the things of God, we're doing it because it makes us useful in God's kingdom. It gives us a greater sense of confidence to be able to speak and act. It gives us a greater sense of being motivated, of being creative. And it gives us the anticipation of knowing that as we build up mastery in the things that matter to God, we become more prosperous in life. Um, mastery of the basics. What are the basics? Well, the basics are the basics, right? Remember, uh, some of you who are football uh, fans, Newt Rock Rockney, when he got on the field of uh, um, one of the first games and uh, took the football and uh, said to uh, his team that was training, gentlemen, this is a football. At which they all looked at him like, yeah, we got it. But in his mind, they hadn't got it because they weren't performing like they understood what it meant to play football. Mastering the basics the basics are those things that are on the bottom shelf and yet everything else is built on them. If you don't have the basics, you don't have anything. Jeremiah can tell you in our karate program, uh, the first thing we do in every class is we go through basics. In fact, I was reading a thing by Bruce Lee and I don't normally quote Bruce Lee, so. But he said, um, I never fear a man who has done 10,000 kicks once. I fear a man who has done one kick 10,000 times. Well, that's basics. It is mastering the things 
that matter, that you can't afford to mess up because if you mess up the basics, you mess up the foundation and the whole house comes crumbling down. So what are we looking to do? We're looking to get a sense of mastery over the basics. The basics of the things that God has given to us, spoken to us, that matter to us, that allow us to build our lives brick by brick, that allow us to build our faith day by day, risk by risk, that allow us to minister into the lives of other people in a way that makes a difference. And so this morning, we're going to begin by looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because I can't think of any better place to begin than Deuteronomy 6 when we're talking about mastering the basics of the things that matter to God. Deuteronomy 6. Um, let me give you a context of the passage. Uh, the passage was uh, delivered by uh, Moses. In fact, uh, the whole book of Deuteronomy, except about the last chapter, was written by him. Um, and it's written in a form of what we call um, an ancient covenant. In fact, it's called a, um, a Suzuri Vessel Treaty. And what that means is, it is written in which a suzerain or an emperor or a king or a ruler comes to his people and he says this to them. I'm going to do this for you. And in return, I expect you to do this for me. Now, it's interesting when you talk about this kind of thing with God because God doesn't need covenants. God doesn't need us to do anything for him. God makes covenants. He makes promises to us because it helps us to have something to hold on to. It helps us to know God better. Because there's never a better way to know anyone except by their promises. In fact, I would assert this. You can't know anyone if they've not made a promise to you. If you've not been in a position where you've got to weigh them by their ability to be trusted by their integrity. And so that's what we find in Deuteronomy uh, 6. Um, it's God making a covenant to his people. In fact, we're going to look, uh, beginning at verse 3. Can you put that up there? Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your forefathers, promised. Now, why does he say, start with, hear, O Israel? Very simply. Because Israel hadn't done a great job hearing God. Now, when we talk about the word hear, it's hear, it means to listen, but it means to listen also in the sense of obeying. And Israel had done a horrible job at that. In fact, Moses is penning these words at a time, at the time in which Israel had just spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Why did they spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness? Because they wouldn't listen. God told them to go and to take the promised land. And so when they sent spies to spy it out and came back, they came to the conclusion um, yeah, the people, they, they're big. They're bigger than us. 
They're tougher than us. We can't do this. And what they were really saying is, God, you can't do this. And because of their unfaithfulness, because of their unwillingness to listen to God, to obey, they spent 40 years going in circles in the desert until that whole generation died off and God could bring a new generation into the promised land. And so he sets the covenant with them. He says, listen to me, because your forefathers, your foremothers, they didn't listen to me, and they missed out on what I have for you. He says, hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. What is God's will for us? Very simple. God's will for us is to bless us. God's will for us is to see us have every good thing in life that there is to have. And so he says, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly. So he, he begins with a covenant. Now let's go to verse four. Most of you are pretty familiar with this. Verse four is the confession. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let me just stop there for a minute. Because as we look at what Moses is declaring, it's what we call the Shema. It is a prayer that the Jews have prayed almost to the time of Moses. Uh, it means to hear, to listen, to take the words and to value them in your heart. In fact, most Jewish boys, from the very moment that they can begin to speak, are taught this. And most uh, Jewish men were taught growing up that you would pray it three times a day. And it was to understand this. This is the basic. And the basic is what? There is one God, and that's it. There are no other gods and that this one God is one and all. Because if you miss that, you miss God. If you don't understand that there's only one God, your life is going to be messed up. You're going to end up confused with no God. When I have gone over to China and I've seen folks who call themselves Buddhists, but Buddhism is nothing more than a ripoff from Hinduism. And, and Hinduism is a religion of thousands of gods. Thousands of gods that give birth to new gods in, in the imaginations of men. And yet the reality is they are no god. If you don't understand that there is one god, you will end up with no god. If you don't understand that there's one god, you're going to end up confused in knowing who God is. Because here's the thing. There is one God that you need to know. And there is one God that knows you. And if you understand that there's one God, and therefore I can zero in on knowing him, and know that he knows me, 
In fact, not only does he know me, but he speaks to me. He has spoken to his people throughout history. And if I get that, if I understand that there is one God and he is a God who speaks, he is a God of Israel who has done incredible things for his people. He is a God who longs for his people to know him as he knows them. But if I miss that, then I end up with a thousand gods I don't really know who don't really know me. Not only that, but I miss out on a personal God, but I also end up worshiping a God that's a man. Because I end up worshiping, worshiping a God that either I or some other man created in his head, which is no God at all. When you, you, know, when you look at the gods that are worshiped in this world by people, you see just a reflection of human beings. Like I said, when I go to China and, and I see people worshiping Buddha and all the different gods, they're all human-like. And they're all there to act and to respond for human situations. And they have to have thousands of them because one obviously can't pull it off. Well, what kind of God is a God who only has authority over one little area? He's no God at all. The reality is this. If I don't understand that there's one God, then I have no God. If I don't understand that there is one God, then I miss out on a God who is personal. A one-on-one God. If I don't understand that there is just one God, I'll end up creating gods that look just like me to do what I want them to do. And so the power of this confession is hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now what about Jesus? What about the Trinity? Well, in the sense of one, it is oneness and completion. And we'll talk about that in a little bit because Jesus quotes the same thing. The Lord our God is one. That's a confession. Here's a commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, it's interesting. How are we supposed to respond to God? What's the relationship that we're supposed to have with God? Because this is basic, folks. If you're going to master the basics, you have to master this. There's one God. So if there's one God, how do you relate to him? You relate to him in love. Why? Why do you relate to God in love? Come on, this is basic. Because God is love. I was thinking about that this, this, this past week. That's, that's powerful. You know, we talk about loving each other. And, and we talk about what it means to be loved and how everyone in the world is looking to be in love. Looking to fall in love, looking to experience it. It's part, of, it's what drives us in our lives. Love must be a powerful thing. Well, love isn't a powerful thing. Love is a powerful person. God is love. God can only relate to us in love. 
Does that mean that God isn't wrathful? No, God has wrath, but that's not who he is. He exercises wrath for those who won't live in love. But God is love. And it's, it's interesting, when, when we look for love in this world, and we look for it in a, in a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or in our, in our relationships around us of, of our peers, we're getting little slivers of an idea of love, but it's not really love. Why? Because it doesn't last. Because it doesn't fulfill. Why is it that people go to the altar to get married and over 50% get divorced? They were in love with each other, most of them. They would say, I married this person because I love them. When I do counseling with couples, one of the questions I always ask, usually in the first session is, so why did you marry him? Well, because he was nice and he was kind and, you know, and because I loved him. But you hate him now. But you loved him then. Why'd you marry her? Well, because she was pretty and, 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 and she loved me. Um, typical men. But now you can't stand her. See, the, 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 the problem of love in this world, it's, it's an illusion. It is a counterfeit. But we flock to it because the desire for love in us has been built in us. It was created in us from God because God is love. How do we relate to God? We relate to him in love. And so God says to us, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. With everything, with the totality of who you are. Look at um, Mark chapter 12, if you can put that up. Because Jesus said the same thing. In fact, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, what's the most important commandment? Jesus said this. The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, Jesus actually adds to this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He actually gives kind of four categories. Are they categories? No, they're not categories. What he's simply saying is this. Love God with everything you have. Now, Jesus declared he was God. And he agrees with the Lord your God is one. Because the God we worship is a God of oneness, of wholeness. He is a God of community. One community in God. That's why you don't have God the Father who is more important and more powerful than God the Son, who is more important and more powerful than God the Holy Spirit. Why? Can anyone answer that question? Because if you did, you'd have three gods. 
God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are all one. Yep, three distinct persons and one. And in the Shema, it doesn't in any way exclude that. In fact, when it's talking about one, in fact, theologians argue about this back and forth. Are they saying that there's only one God or that he is a God who is a, he is whole of everything all in all? I think it's both. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He went right back to the basics. He went right back to day one. Love the Lord your God. Jesus added this. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're going get, to get to this in a little bit. But I want you to hang on to that thought. Go back to um, verse 4. Verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. So we went from covenant to confession to commandments. What commandments? All of the commandments that are rolled up into the one commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Impress them on your hearts. Now, listen to this. I love this. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. In fact, the Jews used to walk around with this little pouch called paraclete that had some of the commandments in it. And it was a sign of trying to live this out. Now, later in Deuteronomy 11, you, you kind of get this clarification that it's not about wearing it. It's about being covered in God's word. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. All right, here's the principle I want to give you that pulls all this together. Mastering the basics with God comes when our affection and our attention meets. Mastering the basics when it comes to God. It happens when our affection and our attention meet together in loving him. So what is, what is God saying in all this? He's saying, I want your affection. But I can only get your affect, affection when your affection and your attention meet. I can only get your affection when you cover yourself in my word to you, in my promises to you, in the way that I relate to you. I want you to love me And the only way you can do that is by being attentive to everything that I've told you. Because if you're attentive to what I've told you, if you believe it, if you express it, if you live it out, you'll come to see that it's true. 
you'll know me through my promises. So what's the basics here? The basics are this. There's a God. There's only one God. And he's a God who loves us. And he relates us to us in love. And he says this to us. If you want to relate to me, then your affection and your attention have to come together. I was talking to a couple this week and, um, and just, they were sharing some problems and I gave them some insight and, um, and they said to me uh, afterwards, they said, you know, you know, we know this stuff. Why do we forget it? I mean, we know it and yet we just seem to lose it. And I quoted this to him. I said, yeah, the reality is it's not enough to just know something. You have to cover yourself in it. Why did Moses say, look, you know, impress this stuff on your children. Talk about it with them. When you're walking down the road, when, when you're at home, when you're sitting down, when you're getting up, bind it as, uh, on your hands and on your foreheads. Why? Because you got to master the basics. And the first basic you have to master is there's a God who loves you and there's a God who wants you to love him with everything you have. Why? Because if you love him with everything you have, everything you have will be blessed by him. Once again, God wants us to love him with everything we have because he's insecure and he, we have something that he wants? No. He wants us to love us, to love him with everything within us so that everything within us can be touched and transformed by his love. You know, if you were to do this in a modern kind of sense, you might say it like this. Love the Lord your God with all your money, with all your time, with all your affection, and with all your ambitions. Love the Lord your God with everything. Bring everything to bear. You want to know how to love God? It is when your affection and your attention come together. So the question is, where are your affections? Where is it that your attention always goes? Is it money? Are you living every day just thinking, put more of it away, make more, put more, make more, put more, so that I can find a nice, comfortable nursing home to die in? Yeah, well, you know, when I listen to people, that's what I always think. Yep, all you talk about is retirement. What about living? I mean, where's your attention? Is your attention in feeling good? Accumulating things that, that make you feel good, that make your house look good? Driving cars that make you look important or feel important? Where's your attention? Is it in the way that you look? Is it in the friends that you circle yourself with? 
see, the basic is this. Love God with everything you have. And what we see over and over again in the scriptures is what? You love God with everything you have and he'll take what you have and he'll bless it in ways that you won't have room to receive it. That's just the power of this. But that's why you gotta start with the basics. If you wanna know how to walk with God, this coming new year, you wanna start a right? The master of the basics. Get a sense of confidence and usefulness. Experience the prosperity that comes when I master the basics of the truth of God. So that when I'm talking to someone, I can be useful. I can share with them, you know what? There's one God and here's the good news. He loves you. In fact, he loves you and he commands you to love him because he wants you to enter into a relationship of love with him. And so he commands it. He commands you to love him so you can receive his love. Because if you don't, you can't. And you won't. And that's a powerful thing. And every day, just cover yourself with it. Every day, take your attention and make it about knowing him and his promises. Now, what does that mean? That means we stay in the house all day and read the Bible and do nothing else and we're obeying the commandment, right? No. Because the commandments don't become real until they become realized. And they only become realized as we relate with the people around us. That's why Jesus said, and the second commandment is this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because if you don't do that, then you don't love what God loves. God loves your neighbor, and he loves you. And so to live in love means I gotta love what God loves. And so I love God and I love my neighbor. And if, and if I do that, if I put my attention to knowing God so that I can love my neighbor better and love God better by loving my neighbor better, then my life is cooking. Because what else is there? What else is there that makes a bit of difference Saving money, you'll blow it. Or you'll, as I said a couple weeks ago, leave it to undeserving relatives. But it won't do you any good. Popularity people are fickle. Feeling good, humans are insatiable. If I feel good with a little of this, then I want a lot more of it. We're insatiable. And I will trample over everyone to get what I want. 
And yet if I just remember the basics, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. He is with you. He speaks. He cares. He shows up. He orchestrates. And his love is powerful. His love moves mountains. And I I want you to think about that as an aside this week. The power of God's love. That it is it is almost a it is a force in and of itself, but it's a force in and of God. But when we love others in a welcoming, sacrificing, unconditional way, that's divine. And yet it's so basic, isn't it? Um, there was a gentleman back in the uh, 1800s whose his father was a man he, he deeply admired and um, wanted to grow up to be just like him. Well, they lived in Germany at the time and um, they moved to a, another town. And the town that they lived in Everything centered around the Lutheran church. And so one day, this uh, young boy's father came home and and said, we're going to change our religion. We're going to give up our heritage and we're going to become Lutherans. And we're going to put away our Jewish beliefs. And so the young boy asked him, Dad, why are we doing this? And he said, because if I'm going to make any money in this community, the only way I can make it is by becoming Lutheran. So that's what we're going to do. Young boy was just brokenhearted and dismayed and couldn't believe that his father would just, his character and integrity would change just like that just because it was going to gain him something. And so as a boy grew up, he grew up to hate his father. And he grew up to be a deviant. He grew up to be a drunk, a womanizer. In fact, even when his wife died, he didn't even go to her funeral. Um, he, He grew up to be a parasite on society. His children end up committing suicide because he was so dead to them and everything he represented was distorted to them. And the, and the only thing he, he left behind was a, a book, a treatise that he wrote uh, called Das Kapital. Um, and in it, he spoke about how religion was just, it was just the opiate of the people. A young boy who grew up to be a very dangerous man named Karl Marx. A young Jewish boy who was growing to understand God within the context of his Jewish faith. And yeah, it would have been great if his father had completed that faith in Christianity for the right reasons. But because he didn't, 
because he took the basics and he distorted them and adulterized them, his son grew up to be an angry, dangerous parasite on the world. What you believe matters. But you've got to master it. What good are you if you're no good at what you claim to be good and claim to know? One day, our lives are going to be weighed and measured not to earn our salvation because God gives that to us. But I do believe this. At the end of the day, if there's nothing to be weighed, it means there was no salvation that was had. There was no real understanding, a real commitment. But one day it's going to be weighed. And let me ask you a question. When it is weighed, what difference will you have made to the kingdom of God? What usefulness will you have produced in the lives of others? I've said this before, and this probably sounds bad, or maybe a little narcissistic. Um, I have over 31 years, I don't know, all my numbers are messed up as I get older. Years of ministry have saved every card that's been sent to me. The nasty ones as well as the good ones because I want to get back on the nasty people. No. Um, <clears throat> but I, I've saved them because from day one in ministry, I, I always want to know what impact am I having? Am I having an impact? Because I I swore to myself when I got into ministry, the day I begin to spin my wheels, it's time for me to figure something else out. What are you doing to measure your impact? How many people will come to know Christ because of you? Not that it goes down like this. But imagine in heaven, it's sort of like a, you know, one of those PE uh, dodgeball games, you know, where everybody picks teams. But they, they, they line everybody up and they say, okay, everyone who came to Christ through Sally, go join Sally. How many of you are going to be the person when no one's standing next to you? Or or anyone who who experienced the love of Christ by Sally, go stand next to Sally. Anyone who even saw Christ in Sally, go stand next to Sally. Sally. Just give us a Bible verse, will you? Uh, I'm not good at memorizing. I, 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 I don't have one. Hear, O Israel. Why? Because you don't hear well. 
you don't prioritize well. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He knows you and he speaks to you. Love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Love him. And Jesus said, and love your neighbor as yourself. And bathe yourself in knowing him because the more I know him, the more I'll love him. And the more I'll love him means the more I'll love my neighbor because I can't love him without loving my neighbor. And so as I pay attention, as attention meets affection, then I, I know I'm heading in the right direction. I know I can live with a sense of confidence of the basics. It matters. You've got to ask yourself, are you mastering what God has given you? Or are you showing up listening but not really will you leave here today and say yeah that was a five maybe a four you know his his presentation was a little off and and he looked tired and uh, I hope he's more inspiring next week probably not Because if that's all you're looking for, it won't be enough. Or will you leave here thinking, God loves me. You know he made a covenant with his people to bless them. Do you know that, I don't have to think about a thousand God. There's one God and he wants me to know him and unlike all the phonies, he's the only God who, who says, relate to me this way, love me. Buddha never said, love me. In fact, when you look at him, all you can think is he said, feed me. Um, <laughs> Muhammad's looking for obedience so that Allah will be impressed and you can earn your righteous. No. Nobody says, love me so that you might experience my love. And if you get this basic, if you live here, leave here in the wonder of that and act upon that, you direct your attention to that affection All your resolutions, you won't have to worry about them. You know, the interesting thing about this, all those resolutions you might have made or not made, should have made, I can help you make, um, they're hard work and they're sacrifice, right? 
go to the gym, lose weight. How the heck can you do that? I, I made a commitment to lose weight. Then Joe Malin gives me a box of chocolates and he gives me this big Godiva chocolate bar with caramel in it. I'm like, come on. And, and I said, I'm not, I'm not eating them. I'm throwing them away. I'm, I'm not going to eat them. And then I, I was sitting there studying and I said, oh, just a little bit. Ate the bar, half the box. And I just said, okay, we're done. Start over again. Steve Atmet makes me this chocolate cream pie. No, no, no. It's, you've never tasted it like this. Um, the, it's, it's, the, the chocolate is like, um, it's thick and it's rich. And I ate it and, and I said to myself, well, you go to the gym after this. And I, and I went and I sat down on the bench and I went, <laughs> but, but see here's the thing changing our lives well our new year's resolutions were last year's bad habits just recooked right we don't change ourselves very well but you want to know something you want to change you want to experience for your life all you have to do is one thing, love God. And that power of God's love will give you the power to become what you never thought you could become. The power of his love will do it for you. You just love him, you just make your attention, showing affection to him, and all the other stuff will, will just disappear. Let's pray.